And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Now they give it to Green. Green stutter step. He's through. First down, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40. Run, William, run. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. In the backfield, two receivers left, one right. Mayfield back to pass. Lux going towards the end zone, and it's caught by Donovan Peoples-Jones. Touchdown! He got it! He got it! The rookie from Michigan got it with 11 seconds left to go! Pumping once, now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has it! He's going in for a touchdown! The problem won the game! hey ho and what do you know welcome everybody to the newest season of the top dogs i am one half of the top dogs uh your maverick on today's journey alex hale and uh there is no goops um so we want to hit the ground running on this and uh address this uh to everybody uh jack and i we took the time this off season we probably could have done more pods this off season truthfully from our dms we wanted to we had a lot to discuss i mean we wanted to do more of a guardians type you know off season talk for fun uh even though that was not the pod but uh you know we're passionate about it and i think we give a different take than a lot of people do um however you know life gets in the way um as you guys know and figured out probably some of you um i've been focused on my job uh very heavily involved uh since i've recovered from my gallbladder surgery which i'm still not fully recovered and probably won't be for a year uh, according to doctors i know that sucks and it really does suck i'm still in some pain um yeah know how to take care of your gallbladder folks stay away from fatty foods um but uh anyways in terms of my recovery and working the season that we're in and how intense it's been um especially recently especially recently um jack and i have had a series of conversations this was not something that came out of the blue it was something that we had discussed honestly when last season ended um so basically here's the deal um the podcast will go on as we can do it however it's not just my life that's developed it's jack's as well and his availability is a lot different from my availability um there are days where he's available during the week and i'm not available during the week there are days where he's available on the weekend and i'm not available on the weekend heck my season can run all the way until November right now, and it may be trending that way, and hopefully it is for a lot of reasons, and the people that need to know or know know why, and it's good reasons. Um, but after that, I have to jump into a second team and uh, you know, finalize that. So I'm really busy, and we've been very successful, and I'm proud of that. However, it's because of the conflict in our schedules that um Jack will always remain Goose. He will always remain the official co-host 
of this pod. I will give him that title. And I know Jack, you're listening. You always have that title. The door is open for Jack to come on whenever he wants. My rule is this. Jack will know when I'm recording. If he's available, he's available. If he's not, which more likely than not, that's going to be the case most weeks. Jack won't be on. Um, It will be just me or as I've been planning, uh, reaching out to a few people to be guest hosts uh, for those weeks so we can fill the void. Um, But I want to come out and address it right away um, with Jack and myself. Uh, This was a conversation that had been going on for a while. Um, I don't want anyone thinking because of what happened the other week, you know, that's why that is not it. Jack and I have had numerous conversations since supportive ones. That is not remotely the reason I know the true reasons. Um, I'm not going to say those on air because those are private reasons. And I respect Jack for uh, sharing those with me. And I'm glad to be a good enough friend where he, he tells me these things. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for you, brother. Um, so, uh, you know. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm probably getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself on that. Jack's probably like, I'm gonna kill you one day. But uh th- that's just my little hint to you, uh, Jack, just for you. Uh, I'll be there. Uh whenever, whenever, whenever that day is, you you just tell me I'm there, brother. Um, anyways, uh it, it, it's not like Jack's gone. And it's not like I won't probably show up on Dogland or uh, North Coast. You know, it's not like I won't do those. I will. It's just that's the way life is. Man, I didn't know how intense my schedule was going to be at this time of year. But if you guys knew the absolute stress I've gone through over the last couple weeks, you know, personally and professionally, just. My God, Um, it's exhilarating yet stressful all at the same time. And it is one hell of a ride right now. Um, All I can tell you is uh, we have done amazing things here in the first year that I did not see happening. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my work. And uh, it's only the beginning. And to think that we're a year ahead of schedule on my plan (laughs) Sound familiar? Your schedule. <laughs> um, no, I I'm really proud of the work I'm doing, and I know Jack's proud of the work he does and the life he's living right now. And uh, we're gonna move forward. Jack would not want me to just cancel it because he's gone. I will tell you, the shows will not be as frequent. I can tell you right now, you may not get a pod for like two weeks because that's how intense my schedule is. I have no weekend next weekend and I have an event. I don't know which day on the weekend yet, but one of them. And then the following is my birthday weekend, which Jack, if you can be available for that brother, just please. That'd be a nice birthday present. I, I'm asking a lot from Jack on that, but anyways, uh, <laughs> I think I know a good guest host for that weekend. Uh, if Jack can't make it, just shut it down. I know he's listening. Shut it down. Uh, <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, we'll get to the Browns here in a minute. 
Uh, so basically, I'm going to cut these up into three different parts because uh, I'm not using the whole Zoom thing and everything. But uh, going to talk some Browns today. Uh, Browns, you know, opening up their training camp down, I guess, in the Allegheny area. Uh, that's cool. Nice views. Some brawls broke out. You know. Okay, cool. Deshaun Watson looks pretty good right now. People are locked in. I mean, we'll see. And shocker, shockers, one of our uh, least favorite media members is now riding a take I've been saying for 10 years now. Put your conspiracy aluminum foil caps on, kids. Oh, we're going there. We're going there. And also on today's pod, the return of the OG alternate Browns history. And I have a statement on that. Hey, Jack, I know you're mad about that. I I know, I know what you're thinking, man. Alex, don't say anything. I'm not going to say much, but I'll say my thoughts. So yeah, guys, this is going to be a fun ride, but first we got to talk guardians. You really didn't think we'd go here knowing me come on now you know there are a lot of things i don't understand on twitter or x or threads or whatever the fuck it is nowadays but i don't understand guards twitter anymore because look there are some of you that react the day of and then next day back to normal love you guys you're true fans but there's some of you that want to hate this team with, you know, a vile amount of hatred. I want to say this for the record. None of you have any reason to hate this team. I, on the other hand, have my reasons. What are they? You'll never know. And the team knows. But here's the thing that they know deep down. I will never, ever turn on them like this unless if I have a reason that I can back up. I moved on from the professional side of it, and I'm working through it right now. Um, I mean, it's amazing when you go to a game here where I am and you run into some old friends from your minor league days Shout out, Willie. Shout out, Bo. Love you guys. Um, uh, it, it was great seeing them. And what's even crazier is half the team recognized me. Even Jose recognized your boy. Because when he came back to the dugout, I'm yelling, dude, my dude right there. He looks at me. I know he doesn't acknowledge anyone. I know he doesn't. He saw me, gave a look of like, I know. Wait, I know you. What up? Like, he gave him what up? It was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, he recognized me. And I know Gabriel Arias was like, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you? A couple of guys were looking back like, we know you. We've seen you before. So it was really cool going to that game and uh, sitting as close as I was, seeing all the boys. Uh, miss them to death. Uh, wish I was there with them. 
Uh, so I didn't have to talk. <laughs> uh, but guards Twitter, I just, I don't know what to do with you anymore because it's all doom and gloom and you think the absolute worst and you create narrative lies. So here is the freaking truth. Number one, you fabricate the fact that Francisco Lindor wanted to be here. The truth is he never did. The contract that we offered is out there. The 30 million a year requirement was met. It just didn't have the years. It was like eight years, I think, something like that. If I remember, I don't even remember what the full nature was. I, I mean, like, I just remember the article was as close to what I had heard rumors of um, internally. And we met it. Francisco Lindor never wanted to be here. And he's shown that since he left. That he never wanted to be in Cleveland. He wanted to go to New York. There were rumors of that after his rookie year that he was trying to become a Yankee. And by the way, how has he really looked in New York? And how hot is that seat right now with Ronnie Mauricio and now Luis Angel Acuna breathing down his neck? Hope you enjoy it, my boy. But Twitter, guards Twitter thinks the Dolans are cheap, blah, 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 blah. So you build this narrative. This is what we talk about with narrative building on this pod. You build the narrative up. And if you say it enough times, it's like politics. If you say something enough times on one side or the other, both sides do this. I want to say that disclaimer right now. Both sides do this. If you say it enough times to your base, they will believe it. No questions asked. And Lindor knew that. You hated the Dolans. So he played that. So he could look like a good guy on the way out. He is all about self-preservation. I've had one person tell me he's a two-face. Internally. Won't say who. Not who you're thinking of. Because I. it's a weird... This came from out of nowhere with someone who had heard I worked for the team at the timeline and said, did you ever meet Lindor? And they were like, yeah. I said, yeah. And they're like, yeah, isn't he a two-face? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd you get that? Because I've experienced that. I've wondered. So those of you who think you know who it is, it's not. It's just someone who just randomly reached out to me after when I revealed I worked for the team. They they asked. So, yeah, let the speculation begin on who it really is. Um, they're no longer with the team, so that, that goes to show. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a huge one right there. But they said, isn't he a two-face? I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute here. Uh, I'm not alone. So, there. Um, but going on in terms of fabrication, we talk about this past off season. Oh, they punted. Oh, they couldn't get Sean Murphy or Matt Olson. Oh, they, they're hugging their prospects. Out of the kindness that I have for the multiple sources I still have in that organization, I will not tell you the trade. Oakland was stupid. To turn down our trade. 
in comparison to what they got now. Estruri Ruiz is actually looking pretty good in comparison. So he's turned out to be a decent player in the deal. However, the trade I've heard from at least two different people is far better than what Oakland would have ever gotten. The reason that both Matt Olson and Sean Murphy went to the Atlanta Braves, there are two reasons. Number one, Oakland has a great relationship with Atlanta. David Frost has a great relationship with Alex Anthopoulos. They easily get deals done. Wouldn't shock me if there's someone available on the A's that they get another deal done with Atlanta. Like if Atlanta needs a Jace Peterson or uh, Trevor May is potentially one of the guys available and Atlanta needs a reliever. Guess what? I think Trevor May would go to Atlanta. Don't be shocked. Just don't. And even the Olsen deal, the Olsen deal was on paper actually a strong trade, but like not ideal. Um, the Murphy trade, we offered better, way better. It was they preferred to deal with a friend, and there was also a slight push from Oakland to do right by Sean Murphy and reunite him with Matt Olson. There was that little bit of a push to do right by him. That the Sean Murphy trade was not a good business decision trade for Oakland. It just wasn't. It was just you're not doing what's best for your organization, nor does Oakland really care because they're trying to move to Vegas so bad that they'll just do these things to piss off the fan base. If the fan base knew what the Guardians offered, they would be hanging everyone in effigy because I would be, if I had heard the trade, I would have been screaming. Are you trying to move this team to Vegas? Which they are. Are you trying to drive a wedge with us? Are you trying not to even win? Yeah, they're not trying to win. So you don't show up so they can move. Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. These are factors that you don't even consider, yet you're spreading around lies saying they didn't try. And now this season happens where they've been a subpar team. They're one of the youngest teams in baseball still. Don't forget that. You can get mad about the Nolan Jones trade fine. Look, I like Brito. I really do. I love Nolan Jones. And everyone knows where I stand on the whole hitting evaluation thing. Don't agree with it, but fine. He fits and he's doing well. Brito's doing well. He could turn out to be really something nice. So we'll see on that. You can get mad about Will Benson. Honestly, that dude I never thought would hit the way he did. So I'm thinking Cincinnati did something that we didn't. So good for him. And plus, he's in a better hitter's ballpark, so good on him. I don't think he would have seen this kind of production here. He never had that in the minors. My guess is he might be an Oscar Gonzalez type where he's getting everyday playing. No one has figured him out yet, and when he's figured out, he might fall off a cliff. Hopefully not for his case because he's a good kid, but 
that's my guess of what could happen with them. We don't know yet. Teams still haven't figured them out, but once they do, there's a lot of swing and miss in that bat. Just saying. We'll see over time how these trades turn out and how everything goes. However, I want to make something clear because by the time this comes out, it'll be trade deadline day. And Aaron Savali is supposed to pitch today for the Guardians against the Chicago White Sox. And I do want to say something in terms of my backing of Chris Antonetti. If I am the Guardians, here's what I do. The first thing you do is you trade Aaron Savali. His value will never be higher than it is right now. Houston's probably calling about him. Even though they're talking about Verlander, the Dodgers could be calling on him, which I would love to have a real convo with the Dodgers about him. The Orioles would love to have a convo as well. The D-backs, I bet, would be calling any competitive team that has any need for pitching is going to call on him. He's had injury concerns, but he's pitching the best he's ever pitched. And I know there's this confusion of, well, who they're going to have to shut down the young arms, which they will. And you're just selling on the season. Exactly. How'd you know? If it were me, I'm trained with Baltimore and getting Kershaw or Colton Kowser if I can throwing Connor Norby, let's go to work. And they don't sniff the majors this year. I know that'll piss fans off. They don't sniff the majors this year. They come up next year. Or they sniff it in September and give them a little bit of a taste down the stretch um, and see what happens. But yeah, I'm punting until 2024. It's just not happening. I want Tristan and Shane Bieber to get better. I don't want Tristan pitching another inning this year. I'm shutting him down too. Him and Shane. I'm moving Shane in the offseason. I don't give a damn what his value is. It It's going to be someone that's going to bet on a one-year breakout. Worst case, a guy who's going to sign for another year too cheap. Fine. Whatever. Someone who wants a veteran arm that can eat innings. Fine by me. I I'm done with Shane. I want him gone in the last deadline while we were competing. And that's where this whole competitive window thing winning last year kind of burned us because we could have moved Shane last year if we weren't competitive and we would have gotten a lot for him. And now we could have sold high in Savali if we weren't fully there yet, but the other pitchers were developing. Winning last year was a good thing and a bad thing. It was good because the city needed it. It was bad because it kind of threw off the whole timeline and the whole plan. And this is where I say to Chris Antonetti, you don't adapt, in my personal opinion. I don't know anything. I've never been in truly the room where it happens. I've been close to it, but I've never been in the room where it happens. I've spoken to Chris. We've had conversations. We've had debates. I don't know what he does in these moments. I've never been in that room. Lord knows I've tried. I was on the fourth floor the day of, uh, well, 
well, allegedly the fourth floor. I don't know where he was. So I just knew stuff was up there. So I just went up to the fourth floor to get a can of soda and uh, just thought maybe I'd hear something. I didn't hear anything. So I didn't know where he was actually ghost town up there. That was the funny thing. <laughs> it was a ghost town. I'm like, what's going on? No one's up here. So uh, no, that's the most I've ever done on a trade deadline day. Um, I know I revealed a little bit, but it was just like, I just went up and no one was there. Okay, cool. Um, but so I don't know what happens on a trade deadline day. I don't know how it looks, but what I will say is when you look at Chris Antonetti's track record, he has only bought at the deadline or he stands pat. He never sells. Look it back as far back as the Obaldo trade, which Mark Shapiro himself has confirmed that was Chris Antonetti trading. I think the Guardians really need to take a hard look at actually trying to sell high on guys because they hold on to veterans too long and then their value depreciates. And I think they try to move prospects, but by the time they can work out a proper deal with them, either A, someone else comes along, or B, you know, the value depreciates and Chris Antonetti is such a track record of winning trades. Teams would be scared to deal with them. Yes. He's made some bad deals. The Andy one is being one of them. And you can talk about the, I'm not even talking about the other Tampa Bay deal because I don't think any of us really expected when he was 17, to turn into what he is now. And if you can sit here with a straight face and tell me that our hitting development team would turn him into a top 20 prospect in baseball, you're lying to yourself. You are absolutely lying to yourself. Don't sit here and say, if Junior was on this in this farm system, he'd be a top 20 prospect. Maybe a top 100, but not top 20. Stop lying to yourself. The hitting development, you know this deep down in your hearts. He would not be that good. He would not. He just wouldn't be. Tampa Bay knows how to develop hitters. He went to the right scenario. All that happened. Okay? Worst case, if we would gotten the guy, would have taken a little bit longer for him to develop, but maybe he would have developed, but maybe not into what people think he is now. So there, fine. Those trades happen. Those trades really do happen. I think uh, the Carlos Santana deal with Milwaukee could blow up in Milwaukee's face in the future with the guy they traded to Pittsburgh, this 18 year old shortstop who is one of their top international signings of the last year. And there's a lot of upside with them. That's something that could blow up in Milwaukee's face. These trades actually do happen. I mean, O'Neill Cruz was traded for spare parts and look at, I mean, he's injured, but look at what he's grown into hype wise. These trades happen, guys. Like, they go the right place and they develop. Good on them. However, Chris Antonetti needs to learn to sell. And right now, you can replenish your farm system with bats by training Savali. Screw winning this year. The Twins paid money. Let them go. Yes, you paid money on Josh Bell and others and stuff like that. And I think... They shouldn't be penalized if my math is correct in the lottery. By the way, there's a draft lottery. Never know. 
Uh, You're not tanking. It's just like, hey, we're probably not going to win the division, so we will sell, but we're not fully selling, so we'll do this. You can do those things and still look great in a year. But if you do nothing at the deadline, if you stand pat, I, I, I can't stand by it because it shows me there is no direction in your plan uh, going forward. Because you haven't brought up Valera, and I know he's only been back a few weeks. Oscar Gonzalez ain't it. It's time for Valera. Let's see what he's got. You're not playing Tyler Freeman, whose exit velocities are far better than what I ever thought they could be. It's time to play Tyler Freeman every day at shortstop. I think he can stick there now. His arm's a lot better than I thought it was. Put him at short every day. Screw Gabriel Arias at this point. I don't mind even moving him at the deadline. I Or even move Rokio. And it, prospect for prospect. Do that kind of thing. But by standing pat, it shows me you have no direction with this franchise. And I don't know what your plan is. And normally I can kind of guess what your plan is. But right now I'm not sure what the plan is. And my gut says sell Savali, replenish, aim for next year like the plan originally was. But if you buy or even stand pat, it's like you're just competing to compete. And even then it's not like a real compete. Like, cause you know, you're going to get bounced by Baltimore or, uh, Texas or, you know, the angels or one of these teams, you're going to get bounced by them. I mean, if you were going to buy, you should have done it already. I mean, hell talk about Justin Verlander. I mean, I know that's, there's no way on God's green earth he'd do it, but like, if you want to buy, I mean, that's the way you do it. You go get a veteran like that who eats innings and is solid. Or you go out and you get one of the other rentals on the market that could be available. And then go get bats. Bats. Multiple. At this point, if you want to compete right now, no prospects should be spared. As much as I don't like saying that because there are a lot of guys I like, no prospect should be spared. Go for it. See what happens. If it blows up in your face, you have the best job security in the game. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. I know you will. So that's just my two cents on the Guardians. I think they should trade Savali at the deadline. If I'm them, I flip a Brian Rocchio um, to a team that needs a shortstop of the future. Uh, maybe something like... Um, Seattle or uh, there, there are a lot of teams that could use a shortstop in the future, but flip him to get a young outfield bat. Like I'm going to sound crazy here, but like call Washington, see if they want to pair Rokio um, with their shortstop right now and have one of them at second, one of them at short and say, well, all we want back is like, a. am just throwing a name out there of their list a Robert Hassel the third or a James Wood. I know they're not going to move James Wood, but you flip a Rokio for that who fills a need hitting wise and outfield wise, but you're still keeping the same amount of control. 
So that way you're still setting yourself up for the future, but you're training a prospect for a prospect. There's no harm in that with the right team. I say you do it and go from there. But who knows at this point with Chris Antonetti. I mean, those are the kind of moves I'd make because you need to set yourself up for the uh, for the future. And I don't know what that future looks like. Don't know. But we'll see in the next 24 hours because or 48 hours. Um as the Guardians are, the clock is ticking, guys. Clock is ticking, Chris. So we'll see on them. Now, before we do alternate Browns history, um, I do want to say one thing about this segment. Because we've been doing it for two years. And truthfully, I was never going to know about the existence of alternate Browns universe podcast. If it weren't for some people who brought it to my attention saying to me, they copied you. Now we have a good listener base here and I love every one of you. And I appreciate all you guys for standing up for us. And, you know, when I had my arguments with them, Granted, I took your your guys' words for it, and whether it is true or not, I'm not going to go deep into this rabbit hole. I have my questions with their answers and my skepticism, which I will always keep. There's nothing they can do to change that. I've been on their podcasts before. They know of me. I've interacted with these people. I find it very hard to believe they don't know the existence of the podcast and this segment. Just saying. Most now there are some that'll say, Alex, it's an easy, you know, thing that people can do. That's true, but no one really that I'm aware of has done it yet. And I'll be honest, no one has done it as good as we have here in as much detail. I've actually listened to an episode and I felt it was very generic. All My feedback to you guys is create rules like we, we do on it. Don't just say, what if the Browns drafted Justin Fields and then just do generic BS? Like, actually be creative like we have and go really deep diving into the uh the people that made these decisions and actually try to put yourself in their shoes like we do i mean when we did the 1995 browns what if they never moved and bill belichick and ozzy become partners we had to dive into their you know tendencies and how they would draft and how it could look years from now we had to go back and watch cleveland 95 to make sure you know, could Ogden have fallen all the way to where we projected them to be? Would Art Modell have insisted on a running back, which is why we had him take Eddie George in that draft? Would they have traded up to get the running back? They want? I doubt it. Um, the one from Nebraska. I doubt it because Bill and Ozzy basically both didn't want him. Would they still have taken Ray Lewis? That was confirmed. But the, there are things you have to research on that. I felt it was just generic, which is why I am totally fine calling this the OG alternate Browns history, because I'm proud of the work we do on it. And as I'm proving to you 
right here and now, um, we go into depth, real depth on this. And uh, in this alternate universe, John Dorsey gets one of the other guys that he was eyeing. And I sit here and believe to this day, Baker Mayfield was a compromise of the group. I think John Dorsey and all those guys liked him, but I think they were also very much intrigued with Josh Allen. And I think there was a real concern. We're probably going to fire Hugh in a year. We don't want to go through head coach after head coach and kill this kid. Baker, we think can handle it. Plain and simple. Um, so in this scenario, the Cleveland Browns have Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and the Browns select Josh Allen, number one, and John Dorsey explains that with Todd Haley's experience with Ben Roethlisberger, he trusts them. And after losing to the Jets in week three, ah, see, there's the first thing, because Baker Mayfield won that game week three against the Jets. There's no questioning that. If Josh Allen comes in with what we saw from him in year one, I don't think the Browns win that game. I think he's rushed in, plays a couple weeks. Terod Taylor would come back. But after that week three loss to the Jets, Hugh Jackson is immediately fired. And Todd Haley is elevated to head coach because, again, we're not that deep in the rabbit hole yet. But Todd Haley becomes interim head coach. And he is a complete disaster. He plays Taylor for the most part, tries to sprinkle in some Josh Allen towards the end of the year. Um, but Allen's inaccuracy as a rookie, it, it doesn't play well. And Haley's trying to win and take this job. But it just doesn't work. The Browns only win four games in 2018 and own the number two pick going winless in their division, breaking that tiebreaker. Upon the end of the season, John Dorsey fires everybody. He's going to get his own coaching staff uh, in the building. Jimmy Haslam strongly pushes for the recently fired head coach, Adam Gase. However, John Dorsey plays hardball and goes after the guy he wants in special teams coordinator of Kansas City, Dave Tobe. And Dave Tobe becomes the head coach, bringing with him the QB coach in Kansas City, Mike Kafka, to become the new offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. With the number two pick, and remember, in this draft, there are some really, really good guys in the 2019 or yeah, 2019 draft at this point. Um, you're looking at Quinn and Williams, Devin White, who would fit fill a need, uh, Josh Allen, the the other Josh Allen uh, as an edge guy. But the Cleveland Browns appease the fans. They know they could use another dynamic pass rusher opposite Miles Garrett, and oh boy. If they could pair him with Nick Bosa, they may terrorize the league. And the Cleveland Browns select Nick Bosa with the number two pick in the NFL draft. And 
in reality, with no proving QB and getting an edge with the number two pick, there are no trades really made with the Giants because you don't trade Zeitler for uh, Olivier Vernon. So you keep Zeitler and you don't even get OBJ. Now, with the 34th pick, they have to address this. And boy, do they ever address this as we know John Dorsey likes his athletic freaks. And he takes one, an Ole Miss receiver, DK Metcalf. I know Browns fans are like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is this possible? Because he doesn't go until what? Pick 64. Well, if you recall, yes, we do take Greedy Williams in this draft, but you don't have OBJ. And people would say, well, what about Debo Samuel? Wouldn't he be on the board? Yes, he would. But I think the athletic freak that is DK Metcalf And it's not like John Dorsey never took risks on players. So with the medical history, I think he'd be willing to take the risk on an athletic freak like him. That could really be a size speed guy that Josh Allen could really use and develop him. So you got DJ Metcalf and there you go. Uh, The rest of the draft stays similar pretty much. I mean, maybe there's some players swapping teams. One notable swap is Sheldrick Redwine is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson because you are picking higher in the fourth round. So Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is the Browns pick there, so they get a better safety at that point. Uh, Then we move on to the regular season, and Josh Allen is still a little bit of a mess between coaching staff. However, Kafka finds ways to utilize his mobility and adds more to the Browns office with DK Metcalf being a near perfect partner for Josh Allen as they develop. Obviously you still have Nick Chubb helping you out, but the Browns still only win four games, no improvement in the win column, but it's Josh Allen who wins those four games and shows legitimate progression that gives the team hope. It's not a dark hole. It's not that Josh Allen doesn't look good. It's because the team still isn't all there yet. So then we move on to 2020. The Browns hold the number four pick. Fast forward to this. They need a defensive tackle. They need an offensive tackle and another cornerback. Um, In this draft, a lot changes uh, nowadays. Now, the Browns could have looked at uh, Andrew Thomas here. They could have taken Jeff. Well, Akuda goes three, but maybe in this universe, he slips a little bit. However, I have the Browns because it's very well noted that John Dorsey wanted Jeffrey Simmons in the 2019 draft. If he had kept the pick, the Browns take Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn, filling that need. However, there is a big, big impact here in this alternate history, which affects the Browns forever because the Browns are the worst team in the division. The Cincinnati Bengals do not own the number one pick that belongs to the Washington football team who select LSU quarterback Joe Burrow to be their guy. However, Cincinnati has the number six pick and selects to attack of Aloha. 
I still believe based on track record and athleticism and everything John Dorsey looks for, the Browns will still take Grant Delpit in the second round. Uh, Dorsey would throw a dart in the third round, taking TCU left tackle Lucas Niang in the third round, but I think everything else stays similar. Um, The Browns' defense in 2020 at this point now is borderline being one of the best in the NFL. However, the offense isn't in sync with Josh Allen, unable to work with anyone during, during COVID. The Browns win only five games, but it's mostly because their defense finishing last in the division again. However, I do think, again, you see flashes out of Josh Allen where the team is willing to pick up the fifth-year option and um, see what happens. But a big thing happens here because it's Jimmy being Jimmy. It's 2020, and there's no progress. Jimmy Haslam has seen enough and has fired everybody. John Dorsey, Dave Tobe, Mike Kafka, all of them are gone. Paul D. Podesta plays his power card of threatening to quit the team going forward if he doesn't get control, but he is on board with Josh Allen to make this happen. So in 2021, the Cleveland Browns hire, like in our timeline, Andrew Barry to become the GM of the team. However, this time around, this time around, the head coaching search is very different. Because Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski played off his 2020 run with Minnesota to get the job, uh, 2019 run that, that got him the job in 2020, staying with Minnesota hurts him. Jimmy Haslam allows Andrew Barry to hire a coach, and it comes down to two people. Unfortunately, Robert Sala doesn't come through. He still goes to the Jets. And instead, Andrew Barry makes a bold hire, hiring San Francisco 49ers run game coordinator Mike McDaniel, who is now the Miami Dolphins head coach. But he was a guy that the Browns had talked to and were impressed by in the past. If we look at our timeline currently. So. With that said, in the 2021 NFL Draft in Cleveland, Ohio, the Cleveland Browns hold the number 10 pick now. And the Browns need a left tackle, and Andrew Perry knows that. And he doesn't even waste time on the clock. He takes Northwestern left tackle Rashawn Slater with that pick. There were talks to try to get Panay Sewell, but they end up taking... Now, Rashawn Slater. Now, like in the timeline, Slater is a stud in this timeline. The Browns improved to 10 and 6 immediately. They are a playoff team and they lose in the first round, unfortunately. But McDaniel and Andrew Barry win head coach and executive of the year for turning the Browns around like this. The duo of Josh Allen and Nick Chubb finally being able to work with DK Metcalf and everybody throughout an offseason with the innovation of Mike McDaniel creates one of the best trios in the NFL. And Josh Allen looks to be finally a quarterback. The Browns have finally been patient on, and it's all coming together finally for him. We go into the 2022 season, which is the final one we're doing, obviously. And one of the big things is 
Deshaun Watson. Where does he go to? Well, we got him going back home to Atlanta. Although I put a note, because of where the Steelers pick, the Steelers are heavily involved in this timeline in getting Deshaun Watson upon Ben Roethlisberger's retirement as they have slipped down to the number eight pick. As the Browns ascend, the Steelers descend, and the Bengals sit in that third place spot behind the Browns and Ravens. With the eighth pick, Kenny Pickett is still the pick by Pittsburgh, though it's considered by a lot of people to be a reach. With the number 20 pick, the Browns at this point, because J.C. Treader is gone, and that's a guy who John Dorsey had, and John Dorsey's no longer there, so future cap casualty, the Cleveland Browns select Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum with the number 20 pick that they have in the draft. They also add in the second round a small wide receiver, but very shifty, great route runner in Western Michigan wide receiver Sky Moore, who fits those guardrails to pair with DK Metcalf going forward. Most of the draft will remain similar. And our final note in this alternate universe is the Browns now have a stable head coach with offensive expertise, working his magic with Josh Allen, who has an MVP season, throwing 40 touchdowns for the Browns in 13 games. They do, however, lose the AFC title game to the Chiefs, but are considered the heavy favorites to dethrone them going into the 2023 season and the Browns because of this get the funding for the stadium that they want in downtown Cleveland. No questions asked. And there you go. That is the alternate Browns history of if the Browns selected Josh Allen. You know, I've been the guy who said, oh, it wouldn't work out. But the more I researched and how Jimmy would have gone about this and how Dorsey would have found ways to bury everything and extend himself and buy time, I actually can see it. I actually can. I think, you know, Dee Podesta wanted to run the team, but he probably would hold out knowing that no one else is going to touch him. So wait until it blows up or walk away when it works out and just walk away. So uh, Paul D. Podesta would eventually get charged and set the ship right and uh, goes forward with it. So there you go. Well thought out, very detailed. That, my friends, right there is how you do alternate Browns history. I thank you all. Anyways, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Like I said at the beginning of the pod, uh, most likely next week is an absolute no-go. Um, I don't have a weekend. Uh, what is that in season? Uh, in the following weekend, I have no clue yet. And the one after that, it's my birthday weekend. We'll see. Um, no guarantees. After that, it's a lot lighter. Um Going into September, all depends on how certain things look out. All depends on playoffs. Just saying. We'll see. We'll see. I'll try to be on as much as I can, you guys. Um, And 
like I said at the beginning, Jack will be on whenever our schedules work out. This does not mean Jack is no longer part of the show. He will always be a part of the show. It's just basically our schedules are insanely different. And it's basically like throwing a dart at a wall to see if it works out. So when it does, he'll be here. If not, it'll be either just me or I'll get a special guest for that week. So with that said, guys, thank you so much for your support for the pod after all this time. Thank you for all the love and support for this. Um, even with alternate Browns history and all that back and love you crazy fuckers. Um, thank you for putting up with my crazy ass. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, go Browns. And you know what? We're going to say it. This is our year, baby. This is it. This is, this is the year. This is next year, baby. Let's go. And now we come to the Cleveland Browns. And truthfully, I don't even know where to go with this. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, the majority of our football talk is going to be our alternate Browns history, the OG version. Um, but anyways, uh, just some simple takeaways that I've gotten from uh, training camp so far. Um, defense looks to be gelling pretty well so far. Um, I do like the three headed monster on the edge that we got. Although, um, I still think defensive tackle is a little bit of a problem, but it looks like the way, uh, Jim Schwartz is going to be doing is that everyone's really going to be playing all positions on the line. He's going to try to utilize everybody's strengths into that, which is good. Um, a good defensive coordinator does that. So that's a good positive for me. The secondary, I think, is improved. Juan Thornhill's fitting in pretty well so far. Uh, the offense, Deshaun Watson, has shown flashes. Obviously, I'm not going to read too much in the seven-on-seven BS right now. Uh, give me some games here. I want to see how the O-line looks because I'm very concerned about that. Um, simply because I'm not a Jed Wills fan. I think Jed Wills is garbage. Um, he is someone who I'm looking to replace after the year. No questions asked. Uh, I mean, today, you know, you had James Hudson get beat, uh, by the newly acquired, I, I'm not going to pronounce his name, but you're at newly acquired edge guy and, um, creating a scuffle there. Uh, but you know, reporters are saying Jed Wells is getting beat too, uh, on the edge too. So, I wonder how big of a role that's going to play into Deshaun Watson's year. Uh, Cause I saw in that play, Deshaun Watson made a very bad throw, but I don't know if that was just, well, the play is kind of dead at this point. So I'm just throwing it. Or did he really make that decision with the linebacker there? Because everyone, their mother could see the linebacker jumping that and picking that off. So um, my gut says he probably was just, the play was pretty much dead. I'm not trying here. Um, cause the pocket collapsed. So I'd be sacked already. Um, so there, and I just am concerned with how the line is because if the line is any good, then Watson's going to be running for his life. And while he has the ability to, and he's got the receivers to get open, that's not what I want from Watson. I want Watson with a clean pocket. I want him to make plays with his arm, with his legs, you know, when he needs to. 
and open things up for Nick Chubb, who I think is going to have a big year. We'll get into the whole Rhinebacks don't matter discussion. That may be a future special guest, and I know he's listening. You know you're on the list, so uh, our tribal chief has to make a special appearance uh, because Rhinebacks don't matter and you don't pay running backs. So there you go. Jonathan Taylor, next casualty. Sorry. It, it it's not personal it's just best for business just saying uh but i i really am excited for brown season i think they're really going to do well this year we saw the injury with joe burrow he's going to be out a few weeks i think he'll be back in time for week one um if not you can mark that down as probably a win at that point if not then there are serious problems with this team i think this team has the chance to be a playoff team the additions of Zadarius Smith and uh, others as well that we've already discussed. I mean, you are really adding defensive talent that's going to create pressure on the quarterback and guys that can just rotate in. Alex Wright, uh, what's his name? I forgot his name from Missouri. Isaiah McGuire and others. I mean, you have all this plethora of talent on the edge that you're going to open things up for your secondary to make plays and it's going to get you off the field. It's going to put you in better field position, which is only going to help Watson and Chubb and everything else. I think the pieces are there. It's just got to all come together. So good takeaways from the beginning of training camp so far. No real complaints here. We'll dive more into it as we see the games unfold. Um, really excited to see that first game against the Jets, mostly to see some of the backups and the position battles. Jerome Ford, I think, is a lock for running back two and the future running back one of this team. I mean, the kid is great. I mean, I loved him coming out, and uh, I loved getting him in the fifth round. He's going to make Nick Chubb expendable after this year. I hate to say it, but uh, he really is. He's really something good. So, uh, yeah. No, that's kind of what I got on the uh, Browns uh, so far, what I've gathered. We'll see how they do in the Hall of Fame game. So, uh, yeah. But coming up next on this uh, is the OG Browns alternate history. Oh, boy. And what are we talking about? Well, y'all have asked for it. And technically, it it meets the five-year criteria now. Close enough. I mean, it's four years. Well, no, it's five now. Um, It's five now. The question of what if John Dorsey had selected Josh Allen with the number one overall pick? All right, I lied. Um, this is not the end of the pod uh, because we I got to break it down because I, I know a bunch of you want me to break down the Guardians trade of Aaron Savali to the Tampa Bay Rays for Kyle Manzardo, the first base prospect, potential outfielder as well. And a lot of you are wondering uh, what my take on it is. A plus, 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 plus. You just got a top 40 prospect in baseball who is just about major league ready, who has a strong 
strikeout to walk ratio in triple a right now screw the average right now 230 in the majors is actually good nowadays so y'all roberto shenanigans all you idiots looking at the simple statistics get the hell out of here you stick to complaining about deshaun watson and all your bullshittery in the world and believing everything the Cavs do is the greatest thing ever because clearly when Amani Bates eventually faces adversity, he'll break. I digress. However, with this trade of Aaron Savali for Kyle Manzardo, you just trade a guy who has pitched over a hundred innings one time in his career. One time he has gone over a hundred innings in his career. Other than that, he's mostly been injured. Yes, he's got a great curveball, great spin rate, keeps, and a lot of the statistics say he's been lucky with where the ball's getting hit. You guys are not seeing the advanced statistics on this guy. And Savali's still a very good pitcher. But from what I'm seeing, and granted, he's going to Tampa Bay, so that stadium's going to mask even more so he's in a good spot for him so i'm happy for him but he still has the ability to get shown are we forgetting aaron savali getting rocked by the yankees in game five are we forgetting that still i mean i haven't forgotten it but even then i said aaron savali wasn't really fully healthy and i think now for the first time in his career he's really healthy but that doesn't mean he he's not an injury-prone pitcher, which I think he is. The fact, again, he has never gone over 100 innings tells me something. Only once in his career. And you just got Kyle Manzarda. In a seller's market, you just sold him off. And all I see on Twitter that, oh, but they're sellers... And, oh, they're punning on the year. Oh, this. Oh, that. We're losers. Oh, the Guardians don't do anything to win. Oh, they're dumb and they're cheap. Oh, we bought in and they said fuck you to the fans again. No. No, they didn't. Because it's funny, two weeks ago, you guys were bitching about Shane Bieber getting injured and how we'll never get true value for him. And we should have traded him sooner before his value depreciated. But now Aaron Savali is your breaking point. Get the fuck out of here. Again, I'll back this statement a million times. Guardians fans are some of the most uneducated baseball fans in America, and some of the most bipolar, disloyal, and worst fan bases in baseball. I don't care how pissed off you are at that statement. That is a fucking fact. And it hurts you because you know it's true. You stand by the Browns in 131. Oh, Deshaun Kaiser's the answer. Oh, we need to give Hugh Jackson, we need to give Carlton Mitchell a chance. Carlton Mitchell. 
We had motherfuckers standing behind Carlton Mitchell, but when Aaron Savali gets traded, fuck you. And you can say they're a half game back. Do you guys realize the Twins have the easiest schedule in the majors left? And we have one of the toughest. Our September's brutal. Like, brutal as fuck. And the Twins get a cakewalk. You don't think they don't know that? And here's the other way I look at this. We all have kept saying over the years, play the kids, play the kids, play the kids. Well, now these kids are being told, yes, we're selling, but go win the division. We still think you can. Go win it. The division's there for the taking. The twins won't put you away. So we're going to let you play. You go win it. Do you know how invigorating that is to a 22, 23-year-old that's just getting to the majors, that's finally getting an everyday opportunity, and he has a chance to make a difference to win the division now? Tell me what team in Major League Baseball gives their players, their young players, that legitimate chance. Very rarely does this come along. Granted, with the way baseball is now, it's more common now. But to this effect, to win the division where there is no wild card, you have to win the division. That's it. The the Reds aren't getting that kind of, you know, experience. They could still sneak into the wild card, especially if they make a few additions. I mean, you talk about the Rays. The Rays have some young kids. You have players all over the place. They're young, and they don't get this opportunity to play every day and be in a divisional race. Yes, people are saying, but you have to shut down the young arms. That's true. That's 100% true. You're going to have to do that. But who's to say Cal Quantrill doesn't come back healthy and strong? Who's to say Shane Bieber doesn't return healthy and strong? Who's to say Tristan McKenzie doesn't return healthy and strong this year in September? And it's all about getting through the month of August. And then they come back in September and these young bats, the Tyler Freeman's finally getting everyday playing time. Andre Simenez in the number two role where he needs to be to complement Quan and Ramirez. You'll eventually see Kyle Manzardo. You get to see Josh Naylor every day. You get to see Bo Naylor mostly every day. These kids are getting a chance to play and win this division. And the MO is simple. Get through August. Be in striking distance in August. Let the veteran pitchers come back. And let's see what happens. And who knows? Maybe Noah Syndergaard turns it around. Maybe he does. He looked good at times in Philly last year. He's not that far removed from looking like a good pitcher. He could do it here. He very well could. And they're not done yet. They may be trading Josh Bell. And people are panicking, quitting on this team, saying same team as fucking usual. You motherfuckers don't understand how baseball works. Baseball is not a game where you turn it around in one year. You have to have a plan. It's not where, you know, a guy like Donovan Mitchell's made available or Deshaun Watson's made available and you can go get them and get them, you know, and hold on to them for a long period of time. Baseball is so much more volatile without the salary cap. 
Hell, the Angels had the best player on the planet, and they could have sold him and got probably whatever they wanted. And they said, no, we're going to keep them in one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard that they're just going to go for it half a season. Let's just go for it and trade all of our top prospects. I'm going to tell you guys, call me in five years when the LA angels are the biggest disaster in baseball. When Mike Trout eventually demands out Otani goes to the Dodgers or Padres this off season and all the guys they just added walk or can't help you anymore. And half of their top prospects are now gone. They're all gone. If you want to be the LA Angels, please go root for them. Because call me in five years when you're bitching about ownership, not knowing what the fuck they're doing, that they're all incompetent. You've wasted the entire career of Mike Trout. You had no plan with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. At least here, there has been a plan since day one, and that is 2024. And I applaud Chris Antonetti for knowing and having the balls to piss y'all off. Because you know what? That's a man who can take the heat but he knows it's the best thing for his team. You don't make emotional decisions as a GM, which is why I was going to be on the fence with Antonetti if he didn't trade Savali at a high price because you know how tough it's going to be down the stretch. You know that he is one injury away from losing all this value, and you can get something big here, and he got it. Because Cal Manzardo can hit. Having good strikeout-to-walk ratios, having good power, everyone in their mother says this kid rakes, and he is going to be a middle-of-the-order presence. Put him and Josh Naylor together with Jose Ramirez? Go get me a righty bat, uh, just throwing a name out there for the hell of it, a Hunter Renfro type to fill out the middle of that lineup with Bo Naylor and... Others at the back end of it? Yes, let's go to work next year. Let's go. I'm ready. Are you? Clearly not. And everyone's saying, but they're punting on the air. Tell me, from what you're seeing with the AL Central right now, the team next year isn't the clear-cut favorite in this division. Like, no doubt, question about it. The White Sox are a mess. The Tigers, we don't know if their build is going to be right or not. I question if it is and if they're going to tear down more to set themselves up in two, three years from now instead of right now because the Javi Baez contract has been a disaster and that's eating at them. They'll get Miggy off the books, but their prospects really aren't playing the way they were always supposed to. Then you look at the Royals who, yes, lost Vinny Pasquatino, uh, but Bobby Wood Jr. looks to be the real deal. And I know a lot of fans will say, well, Bobby Wood Jr. And they have some other pieces. That are interesting. Where's their pitching? They have none. None of their top pitchers have developed. None of them. They've developed hitters. But MJ Melendez is a big question mark going forward because he hasn't developed the way he should. And then we look at the Twins. 
who have spent all this money on Carlos Correa, all this money on Pablo Lopez, who really, it, yes, he's a frontline star, but I think he's going to decline in next year too. Sonny Gray, I don't know if he replicates what he was doing. There are a lot of things that tell me this Twins team is going to downslide here in the next year or two unless if serious changes are made. Now, yes, they got some interesting prospects on the way, but nothing suggests that the Twins are really on this upward climb that they're going to run the division. I mean, they've had every chance to run away with this, and they haven't done it, which tells me this core is not as good as I probably projected. So do you know what that tells me? It's okay to punt on this year. Set yourself up for the next three. That's what they did. They punted on, I mean, I don't even like using that term. Because they still can win it. That's the amazing thing. I believe in this core having the empowerment to go out and win this with Tito at the helm. Granted, yes, he makes confusing decisions. Fine, whatever. But he empowers the young kids to go out there and do it. And you have a leader on the field in Jose, as long as you have that. And as long as the pitching of Bybee Williams, Allen and the others picks up and the bullpen starts to level itself out guys, they can still win this division. That's the crazy thing. You all think season's over. They quit. I say, No, they're telling the kids, you want it? Go get it. We believe in you, actually. Go get it. And it happened last year, too. They told them, go get it. Remember when all you guys said, make additions, you can go win this thing, pull away, blah, 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 blah. And they didn't do anything, and y'all were bitching last year, and I was the only one sitting here saying, They're telling the core you can win this. Go get it. By training Savali, yes, it was a tough move, but I think everyone, their mother on that team knew it was very possible. They also look at this team and say, Savali's probably our really our third best starter, especially when Bieber gets back and McKenzie, if he's healthy and all this stuff. You want to know what, guys? Hey, kids, go win this. You can win this right now. And you know how empowering that is? If it's the right player, it's empowering. It's not a burden. And I think that's what they're trying to find out. Who are the ones that think this is a burden? You have to be able to to weed out who are the ones that have it and who don't have it. We're about to find out who are the core guys on this team. Is it Tyler Freeman or Gabriel Arias? Is Andre Simenez going to be worth every cent? Or is he just going to be a solid everyday second baseman who may be slightly overpaid, but still pretty good? Is Josh Naylor him and worth a big extension that we need to pay? Is Stephen Kwan worth an extension discussion? Is Miles Straw the best defensive center fielder in baseball and a clubhouse leader? Or do we need to put Will Brennan? you know, out there, or maybe they start putting Will over there more. Can Oscar Gonzalez figure himself out and be that impact bat that he was last year at this time? 
is Bo Naylor the future catcher of this team? Is he motivated with his brother to take that next step? I see only positives here. But Cleveland media, because it's fucking Browns season, and I know this is a Browns podcast, but I'm going to give the art teams their credit when it's due. Because it's fucking Browns season, we need to stop talking about the Guardians, fuck them, and talk more about the Browns. I mean, hell, ESPN Cleveland is laying off their Cavs beat writer so they can keep paying Deshaun Watson's best buddy and have more Browns content. We don't need more Browns content. We need Cleveland content. Fuck the Browns. In a sense, not literally because we still love them, but fuck how much attention they get. The The Guardians are treated like the bastard child of the family with its two siblings getting more attention. But that first child, the Browns, gets all the love and attention by mommy and daddy. They're the prize child. No matter what they do, they can't do anything wrong. The Cavs are kind of like that other child that they wanted but the third one, the Guardians are like the bastard child that wasn't really planned and is really holding down a burden on the family. And I hate putting it that way, but that's exactly what they are. And to the media, the reason you are saying these bad things is because you don't know ball. You don't know who the fuck Kyle Manzardo is. You don't do any research and you don't hire people that do this fucking research. You keep hiring Browns, 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 Browns. I mean, how is no one hired Jeff Ellis? How is no one at 850 or 923 hired this kid? He's a genius. He's smarter than me. I'm not even say hire me. I'm saying Alice is the better one. Why have you never hired this kid? He's worth every penny and then some. You could actually have legitimate debates about the Guardians front office with him there. You could actually understand the MLB draft, understand prospects, and understand how good of a trade this actually looks like. But instead, oh, they're selling. Oh, God, we suck. We just, oh, there's no hope. Oh, God, we're punting on the season. Motherfucker, if we, if if winning the division is your ceiling for this year, if that's your bar after last year, fuck it. Fuck that. It should be a World Series. And I applaud Chris Antonetti knowing more than likely this is not a world championship team. And it is okay to punt in that sense. It's okay to stay the course. If this was a world championship team and he knew it, he'd be buying. Hell, I think he'd be going after Juan Soto. But instead, I think he sells off some pieces. But I also think he tries to buy some pieces. That's where most of you don't understand ball. When you don't understand what a 2080 scale is. When you see a 65 hit 55 power, you're thinking, oh, what the fuck is that? Translation is 300 hitter, probably 25 to 30 homers a year. Mill the order presence. And people say, well, we're wasting the prime years of Jose Ramirez. Technically, you're not because you're still in this. 
And knowing Jose, he doesn't give a shit what you do. He's going to go out there. He's going to play. And if the other teammates don't play, he's going to try to motivate him to play. And they've all said when he goes, they follow him. When he's hitting, they're all hitting. It is infectious with them. So they're not wasting his prime because it wouldn't shock me at all that they are in the hunt in September with this squad against every odd in the book. Still fighting for this division. I'm going to say this to the Twins. If you don't win this division, if you don't, which you were my preseason pick because I expected to climb from the Guardians and you just did enough to where I think, yeah, you're going to edge us. If you don't win this division, everyone and their mother needs to be fired in your front office. Everyone. It is a complete embarrassment. After signing Correa and trading for Pablo Lopez, forget what Arise is doing. You did what was necessary to get you a top-end starter, and then you paid him, too. If you don't win this division, y'all need to get out. Get Goodbye. Uh, and honestly, if I'm the Twins, I go a step further. Everyone is available. I consider tearing it all down. Because... At that point, I don't believe in the core going forward. Buxton's available. Correa's available, though you're probably stuck with them. Pablo Lopez is available. Every single player is available if you don't win this division. If it were me, because the way I would see it is the Guardians are set up for the next three years. If we can't beat him, we're not beat. If we can't beat him now, we're never beating him in the future. And we might as well sell off pieces and let the Guardians have their run and rebuild. And by the time we're rebuilt, they will be not paying guys and losing pieces and we'll be ready. Because that's the way it works in the AL Central. It's just the Guardians are set up faster than the others. And Chris Antonetti is smart enough to know you still got to stay ahead of the game in this division. When someone is buying and going all in, it's for the very short term. Look at how the Twins pulled off Tyler Molly to the Reds and look at everything they lost and look at everything the Reds are building around. Spencer Steer is a mainstay for them now. Hell, I wanted him for Savali because I thought, man, that'd be a hell of a get. Christian Incarnacion Stroud. I mean, like that kid is really good too. Would have loved him for Savali. And yet the Twins had all this and let it go. And hell, you got one of the pieces for Will Benson, the pitcher. You got him for Benson. Never know how he's going to turn out, but, you know, we're not getting into the Benson. So I think I did that earlier. But if you want to sit here and complain about this trade, you don't know ball. And I call all your asses out, friend or foe. And to some of you, you know I know more than you. Way more than you. This is an A-plus deal. You got a top 40 prospect in baseball. He is not Jake Bowers. 
Jake Bowers, I knew when we acquired him was a bum because he had a lot of swing and miss in his bat. All you have to do is look at the strikeout-to-walk ratio. It translates. He's just focusing on adding more power to his game right now. And I think the Guardians are going to say, no, 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 no. We, we like that, but we want you to remain true to you as a contact for power hitter. And I think he's going to rebound. Have, gr- have a great eye at the plate. And the Vinny Pasquatino comps are very real. I also... I also kind of like a, a, another Josh Naylor type. I, I think Josh Naylor, like what we're getting this year, every year type, um, but more power, I think, is there than Naylor. I just really think that this is an A-plus deal. You got a guy who can be a mainstay at the major league level. And for fans to say you're punting on the season, I just... Ooh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, it, It's lazy. It's uneducated. And it's completely biased towards your agendas with the Browns. I call it out as it is. It's narrative building. It's bullshit. Reporting is not reporting anymore in sports. It is narrative building. I see right through your bullshit. You don't know ball at all. So with that said, this is now the end of the pod. Hope you enjoyed all of it. Hope you enjoyed my little rant. And oh, yeah, by the way, wanted to add this one little thing. Welcome home, Garrett Bush. Welcome home to the conspiracy, my dude. Yes, no one wants the Browns to succeed. Welcome home. I've been saying that for 10 years. Didn't need to go to the barbershop for that. All you had to do is listen to this pod. The conspiracy is very real in the NFL against the Browns. You just are saying it, and thank you for using your platform, much bigger than ours, to say what I've been saying for years. It is a conspiracy. It's very real. With that talk to you guys hopefully here in the future don't know when that's going to be but take care y'all